0: Yes, I believe we preached through our core beliefs about six years ago.
1: I think so. Six years ago, yeah. yeah. And um, at that time, it was a really cool thing as we had taken months um, as a pastoral team to pray through these and and uh, and, and uh, clarify them. And we have felt like the Lord leading us in that direction again uh, this fall. So we're going to be preaching through 12 core beliefs. And it's three core beliefs about God, three about humanity, three about the church, and then three about the kingdom of God. And um, I want to I be clear, this isn't like a full, it's not intended to be like a full theological statement. We have that online. That's, that's not what this is. This is simply uh, uh, 12 core beliefs that we believe that throughout our history and throughout uh, uh, today, the Lord has has asked us to emphasize. And we've seen this come up in many different ways, and, and uh, has, these have really sharpened the way that we work together and the way that we're we're moving forward. Um, so we felt like right now is a really great time to uh, to revisit them. So this morning, Pastor Joshua in a few minutes is going to preach on God as a good father, because there's a lot of things you could say about. About God the Father, right? There's a lot of things you could say about God in general. but to, to to say God is a good Father, we believe that God has really emphasized that here, and that's something you hear a lot of, and you you'll hear echoes of this in different ways that we do ministry, in different ways uh, uh, that that we interact together and, and uh, in different ways that we learn. So Pastor Joshua, why do you why, can you explain why we think this is important to do right now?
0: We felt like the Lord was encouraging us. this is a, a good season to do this. In light of how much, well, one, it's just timely. It's been six years, so I think it's important to go back and refresh these things as they do shape how we operate. But also, in light of the season that we're living in right now, there's so much that's shaking. I mean, we're in a shaking season. In fact, the scriptures say that God will shake everything that can be shaken. And there's, there's, there's some treasure there for us, because if you've been shaking lately, it means you're standing on something that's shakable. And his kingdom is unshakable. So we, we felt like, well, let's not waste our pain. While, while everything is shaking, why don't we go back and look at some of the things we know that God has called us to do because they don't change just because we're going through a crisis. They don't change just because we're going through a, through a pandemic or any other upheaval. They stay the same. And they actually empower us to live like Jesus calls us to live individually as a church right now in the midst of this it gives us that ability to know who we are and how we roll and 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 actually strengthens us because it becomes a framework for us to think through like well we know what we're about and so even though everything else seems like it's shaking and it is we can actually focus on what we're called to and this can be a grid for us to see things through um and and to differentiate between wh- who we are as a church and what we're called to do and who you are as an individual and what you're called to do. Um,
1: yeah, I, I, one of the things I think this allows us to do is it, it gives us a sense of identity. Uh, it, it, it reminds us of who we are as a congregation, like as a church family. And, and who we're not, like what we're not called to all engage in. Because sometimes that, that's a, that's somebody else's assignment. Or so, sometimes the thing that I'm passionate about that God's called me to do is not necessarily what he's called you to do. That's actually a really freeing thing mm-hmm. that we can understand the difference between those. So our, our hope and prayer is that this uh, series will will empower us with a sense of like, I understand what you've asked us corporately to, uh, to major on and, I, and, and in the process I better understand what part of the kingdom you've asked me to carry what part of the character of God you've asked me to carry and show the world uh, and I'm excited about it and in the process here's what we're, we're pulling in here one of these mark you've got some of those right uh, if you didn't get one of these we're doing it this is another daily devotional that the, the pastoral team has has put together. Uh, and we're really excited about it. If you did not, wanna, if you not get one of these, raise your hands. Um, this, uh, it'll go day by day through each one of these core values. So we have like a, a, core, a, a, a scripture uh, for every day of the week and a, a chance to interact with that using the, the sword drill, as we've done many times before. And uh, also there's opportunity there for, for questions for, for going deeper uh, for journaling, etc. But we also have, for each one of these, by the way, there are typos, forgive me. I realize on sermon notes for today, there's a typo um, that says week three. Well, it's not week three, it's week one. Um, but uh, there, there's place for sermon notes. God is a good father, right there. It's just like a few pages in. Um, you've got that. But at the beginning of each one of these two, we have a summary of, of what the core belief is. So that's where we start. God is a good father. So we have... Uh, uh, some uh, some text there that sort of expounds on what that core belief is, and uh, and then opportunities to interact with, with the different verses. So I encourage you guys, I think it's really great when we can sort of be on the same page as we walk through this together. Uh, there's some really, really rich content here, and I can say that because it's not our content, it's scripture. So I encourage you guys to jump in and work through this together. Your, your small group is going to be actually using this as your That is correct. Discussion. Yeah, our small group, which meets on the off week, we are going to be going through this and, and uh, like we did sort of with the way of peace kind of uh-huh. stuff. So that's, some, that's, you know, an idea for some of you guys. Anything else that I'm missing? I think we're there, man. You we had a lot to me? talk about. Yes, yes. I like it
0: when we're up here, tag team, and it's a lot of fun. I feel like I sound smarter when Jason's here.
1: Thank you for infesting that word with me. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this man. Uh, Lord, I thank you even that he's able to uh, walk around freely after he broke his toe this week. I pray that you would help him not to be in pain as he gives this word. Lord, I thank you for uh, uh, how he has lived this message, that he's embodied it to be a good father of this house. And I pray now that you would... uh, inspire him afresh, that you would anoint him, and I pray you would open up all of our hearts to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name. Everybody said?
0: Amen. Amen. All right. I actually meant that as a compliment, but I realized that could be taken as an insult. I meant I sound smarter because you're here and you're smart. That, that's how that was supposed to sound. <laughs> I'm going to stop. I'm going to go to this. This is what we're working on. This is right here. Um, so the first, the first core belief that, that we're looking at is that God is a good father and it really is the foundation that everything rests on for reality. Everything that was created was made through him and his character is of utmost importance because you could have a God that created all things and him not be good and that would make that very bad news as opposed to good news. But because the creator is actually good, then that's good news. And one of the ways that he has chosen to relate to us is that he's also a father. He's a good father. Now, what that means for many of us can be kind of terrifying because maybe we had a really bad experience with our father. So when you even hear the word father, it just sort of strikes Fear into your heart, like, oh, that's a really bad example for a good God. You shouldn't call him a father. You should call him a mother or something, which also there's a whole mother heart of God thing, but that's not what this message is about. So there's this, there's this opportunity to, for us to recognize, wait a minute, what does it mean if he's a good father? Well, the first thing I want to say is that fathers, like what we represent as fathers, is we're representing Him as the good father. So when he says I'm a good father, he's not saying, "Oh, I'm representing these earthly fathers, that's what I'm like." He's saying, "No, no, no, these earthly fathers were sent to represent me. Sometimes they do it well, sometimes they don't. But the but the original father is our creator and he's a good father." We've all and I think we've all probably experienced a range of things with fathers. But this is a key thing for us, and in fact, this really was the very beginning that brought all this trouble in the the first place was, you know, God says let's make man and woman in our image, and he makes them, he puts them in the garden, he tells them be fruitful and multiply, care for the garden, you can have anything you want except for this one tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can eat from the tree of life and live forever, you can eat any other fruits, Just don't eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the way that the enemy tricked Adam and Eve was that he actually came and he planted in their hearts and head the idea that God's not actually a good father. And he's been doing that ever since. I mean, this is the story of our life. This is our history that we see that the enemy consistently comes and essentially says, your God is not good he's certainly not a good father. And so therefore you're gonna have to get your information, you're gonna have to get your stability, you're gonna have to get your identity, you're gonna have to get everything that you need from some other place because ultimately he's not trustworthy. So you're gonna have to look out for yourself because he ain't gonna look out for you. He's actually keeping the good stuff from you. And that was the accusation that, that, that the enemy made about God and then trick them into eating from the, 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 the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How many of you guys know they already had access to everything that was good? All that they got from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the knowledge of evil and death. <laughs> it was a pretty bad trade. But the premise here I want you to hold on to is that you and I today are facing the very same thing. Is, is, that, is that accusation against God that, first of all, he's not... He doesn't exist, and secondly, if he does exist, he's not good, and he's certainly not a good father. And, we, do, and we, 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 we have that presented to us by the enemy of our souls over and over and over again. So I want to share a couple of scriptures with you and unpack that idea, and, and what I want to do is contrast him as a good father, maybe with some of the experiences that we've had with not such good fathers, as well as some of the experiences that we've had that are essentially doctrines and philosophies that are the opposite of having a good father. Because something has to be true, right? If one thing isn't true, we got to find something else that could be in order to make sense of this all. So here we go. Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the beginning of our ability to thrive and function in reality, the reality that our good father created, is that we have to actually believe he exists. And then we're welcomed that not only does he exist, but that he rewards us for even trying to reach for him, for even trying to seek him. He is encouraged by that. He is excited by that. And he doesn't punish you for what you don't know. He rewards you for what you do know. Did you catch that? So we're invited to know this good God. He exists and he rewards those who seek him. So this is this invitation to know him and to know that he exists and to know his motivation towards us if we should seek him. Now let me contrast that to the philosophy of this age. There's kind of a leading philosophy of this this age. And essentially it's that um, that we essentially were programmed on the backs of crystals by some alien intelligence that started macroevolution millions and millions of years ago. And so therefore, here we are. So at this point in you know the observable uh, practice of science is, okay, what we see in the complexity of what we are could not have sprung up from nothing. Something had to have gotten it started. So even the most ardent, uh, atheist scientists, materialist scientists are saying, okay, there had to be some kind of an intelligent designer. It wasn't God, but it was something. There was something, it had to have been. So we think it was actually aliens that, that, put, that programmed it into crystals that came down from space. This is one leading um, theory. And then that started macroevolution, and, the, and then here we are. And the, the, so, so that's, you know, that's a theory. It leaves us with this idea that one, where did we come from? What is our purpose? What are we supposed to reach for? What comes after death? So we do our best essentially and hope it all works out well. And that, that kind of births some anxiety. I don't know about you, but that births some anxiety for me if we don't know where we came from, we don't know why we're here and we don't know where we're going. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. For me, that's intellectually unsatisfying. Um, But God says about himself, I exist and I'm a rewarder of those that seek me and I made you in my image and I gave the opportunity to choose me. And if you will believe that I exist, I will reward you and affirm that I do. That's pretty encouraging. That's a pretty encouraging thing. So as a good father, we can rest in that, that we have a father and we're made in his image, male and female. We're gonna get into Jesus and we're gonna get into the Holy Spirit. But for right now, we're focusing on that good father. So there's this invitation. Now, we have this picture of father. And again, we've all had experiences with fathers. And I was thinking about the opposite of this, right? So we must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And I was, I was remembering a story of a, a man that was sharing with me about his dad and his dad for whatever reason just honestly just didn't really like him and he was always seeking his father's approval and um and so he he would just everything that he could do he just could not do right by his dad and so finally but but finally he asked his dad he's like dad i I know you love to fish can we go fishing tomorrow and he's like all right we can go fishing and he's like but you you have to be up at i think it was like 5 a.m and um and then, well, I'll, fine, I'll take you fishing. So he gets up at 5 a.m., and, you know, the night before, they set out everything, set out their poles, set out the, the tackle boxes and everything, and he goes to bed. He's all excited. He wakes up the next morning, and he goes out, and his pole is there, and his tackle box is there, and his dad is already gone. And it wasn't because he was late. It's because he had a terrible, flippin' father. I, I, for the life of me, I can't understand why a dad would do that to his son. But this dad did that to his son. He he was not a rewarder of his son seeking him. In fact, he had no interest in rewarding his son for seeking him. He he left without him. Our good father says, I am here. I do exist. And I will for certain reward you if you seek me. I'm not going to leave without you. I'm taking you with me. And I think some of us have experienced these kinds of things. And one of the things that we value so much about understanding that God is a good father is, one, it's so important because everything we do will be shaped and seen through that lens. If we don't think he's a good father, it's going to shape our behaviors. And so we really emphasize this because to the degree that we don't see him as a good father, we can't thrive, we can't trust this, this man, when I was meeting with him, had a rejection wound in his heart from that experience among many that made it very hard for him to believe that God loved him, and it made it very hard for him to believe that other people loved him because he had experienced that, and that got projected onto God. And how many of us have that same experience, you know? We, we, we believe about ourselves that we're absolutely rational and we're absolutely, um, you know, these autonomous beings that just think everything through without emotion. But, and, and that's true, we are rational, but what does happen is we have transference. That's a, that's a fact. And we transfer wounds from our own earthly fathers onto God, and we have a hard time imagining that he could possibly be good when we've actually been wounded by our own fathers. So we have a high emphasis here in this house about allowing God to come and heal some of those inner wounds that we end up projecting onto God. We, you know, and, and we do it to all authority, by the way, as well as other relationships. When you're wounded in these kinds of ways, it, it affects everything. But get, getting these wounds healed is so key for us to be able to move forward because it absolutely shapes our ability to have a relationship with God and others. We have to be reconciled to a good father. And it wasn't because he wasn't a good father that we got wounded. We have an enemy. We live in a broken world. We've experienced these things. And so one of the ministries that we love here is, is uh, it's called the Sozo ministry. That word Sozo simply means saved, healed, and delivered. It's used several times in the New Testament when it says repent and be Sozo. And it means saved, healed, and delivered. And it's a time to go and deal with some of these wounds. And we, we really emphasize taking time to allow God to heal us in these areas of these wounds so that we can thrive. Because he is a good father. And when we see him from that perspective, it changes our life. It's, it's absolutely foundational to who we are as a, as a people. Now, I believe that's true for all people in, in all churches but this is an emphasis that I want to make sure and bring to us. Like, this is what you're a part of. This is why we emphasize taking the time to let the good Father heal us. He exists. He rewards you when you seek Him. The next scripture I want to share with you is uh, John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. It says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, this is a key thing to understand, is that God is spirit. God the Father is spirit. Now, this is challenging for us because we, maybe that's probably why we project our own dads onto Him or different authority figures onto Him is because He's actually invisible. No one has seen the Father except for Jesus, He's, he is spirit, and until we are regenerated and get our new body, we can't handle seeing God himself yet. Uh, it's just too much, it's just too much. But we have Jesus who shows us what he's like. But he's not, he's not ethereal, and I want you to catch this. God is not ethereal, he's not unknowable. He is spirit and he is truth, and he seeks that we would worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not fuzzy, it's not. Fuzzy. How many of you have have had had those moments where things feel so nebulous, right? You just, you can't, you can't quite believe. You don't know what to believe because it's so murky. Has has anybody ever experienced that? You're talking, you're trying to figure something out and it just feels so murky. Well, I want to tell you, our Father in heaven is not like that. He is a God who desires that we would know him as he is in spirit and in truth and the two are not at odds. Spiritual realities are not they're not murky. They're not mysterious. He's actually saying, this is exactly how I am. I've sent my son Jesus so you would know exactly how I am. And you can trust me because I'm telling you the truth. And that, that's a huge thing. I was, I was talking with a, a young man who uh, his father left his mother when he was like, I think he was three years old. And so he, he just never knew his dad. But every time that he would visit with his, with, with his I mean, he... He didn't get very much time with his dad, so he didn't really know him very well. But he would get some visitation a couple times a year because that was the only time his dad was interested. And when they were together, the, the unfortunate thing about his father is that his father is an absolute compulsive liar. Like, he, you know, he has his own story. He actually had seven stepdads. So you can probably put together why you might become a compulsive liar if you have seven different dads in your childhood wow, that's its own story, isn't it? So then he's a compulsive liar. So then he lies to this young man whenever they're together. So he's with his dad, but he can't believe anything his dad says because his dad just lies to him all the time. So you have, you have your, the, your dad is there in spirit, but not in truth. God is nothing like that. Our good father is with us in spirit and in truth. The two are in no way conflicting. You can know him as your good father. And this is a huge part again for us that we as individuals are called to be in an intimate personal relationship with our Father God. I I think something else that's beautiful in this, you know, the philosophy of our age declares to us that we must all live our own truth. Well, there's a modicum of truth in that, that we must be true to the truth. The part where it goes wrong is that if I'm living my own truth subjectively, and it's not an objective truth, what if the truth that I'm living isn't actually true? And in God the Father, we're invited to have an objective truth that exists outside of you and me, It's not predicated on what we believe, it's predicated on that it's actually true. It doesn't shake and move based on my opinion. It doesn't become true because I believe it or false because I don't believe it. He is self-existent and he is true and he tells me the truth. And you can believe him and I can believe him, but regardless of what we believe, he stays the same and stays true. Now, we rightfully should treat all people with respect and honor when we disagree about what's true. And so that's why that that principle sounds right, like yes, everyone needs to live their truth. But obviously there's gotta be limits to that because no one agrees that if someone's truth is to go kill other people, that we gotta be okay with that. So we have these, what are they called? Happy inconsistencies, don't we? We don't actually believe that truth is completely subjective. We're just seeking to make room for one another. And in God, we can allow that he's carrying the truth. I probably spent too much time on that point. Can you guys receive that? Is that okay? So he's inviting us to know him and to know the truth. 1 John 3, 1, it says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. The philosophy of the age that we're, that we're grappling with is this idea that we're an outcome of random chance over time, the result of societal constructs and subject to our evolutionary processes. It's, it's a rather nebulous at best and disturbing at worst picture of what we are. It really removes that we would have any choices. But there's another narrative, and that is that the Father has said, He loves us and has bestowed on us that love that we are called children of God, that we don't have to simply be the result, a construct of this culture, the outcome of forces that are within us that we can't fight. We actually have... We actually have a purpose. And our Father has called us children and given us the opportunity to choose or reject Him, relationship with Him. He's given that to us. We have power. We have choices. We're not victims of of our culture. We're not victims of our society. We're not victims of random chance. We are actually made with a purpose and given power to make decisions. And He knows who we are. He's a good father, he knows who you are, he knows that you are his, and he loves you. Now, does he force you to choose him back? Nope, because he's a good father. Love does not coerce and love does not threaten. So our good father teaches us how to walk in that, but we do know that the love that he's given us is that he knows our name, he knows that we are his. I remember talking with a a dear friend of mine and uh, he was really going through a rough time. And I just asked him, what are you, what is going on? He was, he was really honestly just, his life was falling apart and he had developed a terrible, terrible drinking problem. So he was just, if he wasn't working, he was drunk. And I was just asking him, like, where's, what's going on, man? Like, and he did, he, I said, you know, what, what comes to mind right now? Let's just pray and ask God, like, what comes to mind right now that's driving this? Because you're like getting worse and worse and worse. And he, he admittedly felt that as well. And he said, I just remember, I remember my dad coming home, and, and, and they were fighting, and I was in the room, and my dad telling my mom, I don't think this is my son. I don't believe that this is my son. I think that someone else, I think you were with someone else. I don't, I don't believe this is my son. And basically demanding like a paternity test kind of thing. And he was old enough to hear that and understand that that his own father, and it, it was his father, that his own father was like, I don't claim you. I don't know you. Our good father knows us. Our good father knows exactly who we are and he's not confused about who the father is. And this is, this is what we're invited into. He is the God who knows who we are. He has not left us to chance we're not the result of some random timeline. He's our good father. James 1, 17 says this. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the father of lights. He's a good father and he gives good gifts. Now, I think about the garden, right? The context of the enemy coming and accusing God, the father, of not being good and getting his kids tricked into going and taking a lousy gift from the wrong tree. And really, we run into that, don't we? Where there's things that, that, that the enemy is like, this came from God. Whether it's like, well, think about this, like natural disasters. How often do we hear that was an act of God? What the heck? Who came up with that? God came to redeem all things, and when a hurricane kicks up, then it's called an act of God? (laughs) Yeah, there you go. But the truth is, if it's not a good gift, it's not from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. So whatever things that you've received, if it's not good and perfect, it didn't come from your good Father. I just want to offer that to you to be thinking about that. If you're carrying around any gifts and they're not good, it's not from God. You can drop it. You can stop carrying that around and thinking like, oh, I think the Lord gave this to me. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> So what kind of a dad is he like? What's he, how does he relate to us? Well, I've given you a couple of points here from these scriptures, but I want to share with you from this, this story, and we'll, we'll close with, with this. You guys are familiar with the, with the prodigal son, and I, I think that story would be more aptly named the good father. It's called the prodigal son, but really it's the good father. It's the story of the good father, and you guys are familiar with it. The son, the father has two sons, and one of the sons comes to him and says, give me my inheritance now because I want to go do what I want to do with it. And the message that he's giving to his father is, you're worth more to me dead than alive. I I don't want to wait until you die to get the money, but what I really care about is the money. So if you can just go ahead and give me the money now, that would be great. And so that I can leave and go do what I want to do. So your stuff is more important to me than you. You're worth more to me dead than alive. And the father gives him his inheritance. So he goes away and he spends it on a bunch of hedonistic living. And then once he's run out of all of his money and a famine comes on the land, he realizes what he's done. And he decides, you know what, I should return back because although I don't deserve to be a son to my father anymore, I could at least be a servant because even the servants are eating better than I am right now. And so he heads back. And I'll take the story from, from there as he's, as he's returning, Luke fifteen twenty through 24. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So the first thing I want to point out to you is that it says while he was a far, a long way off, while the son was still a long way off, the father sees him at a distance and runs to him. He runs to him. He, the son hasn't even said anything yet. It's enough for the father that he's even come home. He's been looking for him. He's been waiting for him. The son's behavior hasn't changed how the father feels about his son. And when he sees him, he doesn't wait. He doesn't wait and go, well, let's see what he has to say. He doesn't go, okay, finally. Now I can finally tell him what I really think about him, ungrateful little turd. No, he he he's He's a good father. He's a good father. And, you know, his level of good goes way beyond most of our level of good, isn't it? I mean, I think a lot of us would be like, well, okay, but you burned a lot of bridges. So, you know, you're, I've got a guest house. You can stay out there. We're going to make sure that you're, that you're performing correctly. And then maybe eventually, um, you know, maybe we'll let you, like, work your way into buying back into the family business. But you sure as heck, you know, we, there may be, that might be the nicest thing we could do. Others might be like, get the heck out of here. You're dead to me, but not our good father. Our good father's standard is that he sees him a long way off and he runs to him. And the story continues. He runs to him and he embraces him and he kisses him. And the son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. He completely restores his son. When he's saying, put the ring on his finger, that's the signet ring. That's that's what you would do business with. That's what you sealed your documents with to show that you actually had the power and authority from the family to do business deals. He put the robe back on him. He called everyone to celebrate that his son is back and not just on probation, but he's back. He forgives him completely. He brings him back into the family. You see, our good father is always redemptive. He's always seeking mercy over judgment. He's not looking for a way to give us judgment. He wants to give us mercy. He's not looking for a way to end the relationship. He always wants to restore the relationship. And we we have to know this about our Father because this shapes the way that we live our lives, how we relate with Him, but also how we relate with each other. So as a family here, we're seeking mercy every time over judgment. We're seeking restoration over every time over things being broken apart. We're seeking forgiveness over unforgiveness. Why? Because our good Father does that with us and our good Father wants to do that with everyone. Now there are... There are respectful limits. You notice that the good father didn't go out and beg the son to come home. So there was a response that was needed from the son. So you and I, we respond in the same way. We have healthy boundaries. But they had better match the father, the good father. So that's the context that we relate with this world. That's the context that we relate with each other in this. So that when we do see someone that's returning... We see the slightest movement from the, of someone returning to the Lord or turning to the Lord. We run to them. We kiss them. We put the ring on their finger. We put the, the robe on them. And we have a party because God is seeking to save that which is lost. He doesn't want to judge the world. He wants to save the world. That's who we are. That's what we're about. And the last thing that I want to say is Zephaniah three sixteen through 17 is that our father is sovereign and almighty, yet at the same time our Father is personal and intimate. He's not this nebulous energy that's out there that we hope maybe we might understand or some grand nirvana consciousness without intimacy. No, He is intimate and personal with us. He's a good Father. Let me just read this to you. In that day it it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion, let not your hands be weak, The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He'll quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Think think of that, that, you know, really you see the, the story of the good father running to the son, the prodigal son. What does he do? He rejoices over him. He throws a party over him. You and I need to know that our good father feels this way about us at all times. That when we're going through something hard, it moves his heart. He comes to us. He saves us. He restores us. He delights us with his love and he rejoices over us with singing. You are personally known by your good father and we are called to walk in that confidence, that understanding. So as we walk through this season, There's a lot of people that are mad. There's a lot of people that are scared. There's a lot of things that are shaking. But you and I, we are with the good father in his unshakable kingdom. And we get to extend that. We get to process how we are to walk through this season and every season knowing that we have a good father. We are walking in that confidence. Amen? I want you guys to stand up. I want to pray over you and then we'll we'll wrap up. I'd like to invite the prayer servant team to come. Um, uh, if you guys want prayer, please come up for more prayer. Lord, we're so grateful that you're a good father. We're so grateful that you have called us by name, that you know each of us individually. You know the terrible things that have happened to us that have caused us to believe that you might not be good. I ask that you would speak to those places in our lives and in our hearts so that we can see you as you are and not as we perceive you as you are, and not as our history may dictate that we think that you are. And I ask, Lord, that you would heal our father wounds and help us to walk through the processes of healing while you do that. And lastly, I ask that we would be a people who walk with you, good Father, who trust in you, good Father, and who represent and invite others to know you as you are, good Father. And we ask this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.